Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. If you just graduated from high school or college and the buzz of graduation parties are starting to wear off, you may be having this super scary realization that, like, now you actually live in the real world and have to find a job. I get it. Going from studying and exams to resumes and interviews is definitely not easy and can be totally overwhelming. So today we are throwing a crash course on exactly what to do to get that resume in shape, nail the interview, and land the entry-level job of your dreams. I'm Elisa Benson. This is Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour Podcast. And today we are talking about how to land your first job ever. Joining me on the panel today are two people with very cool jobs. My coworkers, Cosmopolitan.com editor Amy O'Dell, also known as my boss. Hi, Amy. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> and Cosmopolitan.com's editorial assistant, Madison Feller. Hi, Maddie. Hey. Um, so Amy is actually both of our bosses. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Nonetheless, I am flattered and honored to have been asked to be a guest on this podcast today. <laughs> um, well, Amy, I wanted to have you here because you have hired approximately one million people in your jobs, and Cosmo is a young staff, so you've hired a lot of people in their first job ever. Um, is there something that really stands out to you in the people that you hire? Like, of all the people you've hired at Cosmo, something they might have in common? It's a really good question. There's probably a lot of different answers that I could give. Um, you know, I can I can really speak specifically to media, and I want to say that because my tips might not be ideal if you're trying to be a lawyer. Mm. Um, but like, what's a lawyer? But for media, which I think is kind of a, a sexy industry um, to people, and. Uh, uh, a really, really competitive industry uh, can speak about you know what I look for, and I think the most important thing, aside from like you did your resume and you did your cover letter and you got all those things down, is that like you really want to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have a real passion for it and like a fire for it, and you have to really want to work at the publication you're interviewing for, or really convince them that you want to work there. And it's very obvious to me, like who's phoning it in, who hasn't done their reading before they've come in, who mm. who just doesn't really care. Well, I have a question about that because, as you do as well, I feel like I meet with so many girls who are dying to break into this industry. It's very sexy and glamorous, and they all tell me they're passionate, but like, there's a difference between someone that's like, I am dying to work in fashion, and somebody that sort of like has that resume where you can see like. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have interned in a magazine before, but like maybe their Instagram account really shows that they have a point of view on style or maybe they contributed to their college paper or their high school newspaper. Are there other things like that that sort of like to you, Amy, stand out as being markers of someone who's serious about this versus someone that's just like, I'm passionate about this, but really like they seem only like medium passionate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that it's kind of 
different based on what exactly you want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, like certainly if you're interested in fashion, I would probably expect you to be doing something on Instagram. Um, and that might be something that you do in your free time to show your employers that you're passionate about something. But also if you're passionate about it, you're just kind of doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, I started my career, I really wanted to, uh, to be a writer uh, when I graduated school. And I, I ended up doing that after I had a completely shitty um, assistant job at a startup that doesn't exist anymore. RIP. <laughs> um, but I was working nights uh, as a party reporter, meaning I was going to red carpets, uh, red carpet events, and um, interviewing celebrities for New York Magazine. And that sounds really glamorous, but it's actually really kind of shitty because you're going to a red carpet and you're standing there and you're like, waiting, uh, you know, waiting for celebrities to come up to you. And you might stand there for an hour and a half uh, and talk to somebody for two minutes. But the the two minutes you speak to somebody, you might get the most amazing piece of news out of them. But I was doing that at night and staying up late, you know, and I had a full-time job, too, at the time. So, and I did end up getting a full-time job at New York Magazine as a writer. So it was just like, that's kind of like the level of dedication that I'm talking about. Right. You were like leaving your nine to five job at the terrible startup and like going out and doing this completely freelance. Amy, you also have a good story about essentially like, didn't you kind of like flub one of your first party reporting experiences for New York Magazine? And you kind of said, I can do this better. I did. Yes, I did. I, I got... So New York Magazine was not the first place I, I did that kind of work for. I did it in an internship at the New York Observer, which uh, used to be probably more um, directly competitive with New York Mag, kind of more of a similar publication than it is now. But, uh, you know, I had that experience, so I felt like I could get my foot in the door because I had clips, uh, I had articles that had been published based on mm-hmm. those party reports to show them. And so they did send me out because in New York, like, there's a million things that need to be covered at, at any on any given night. It's sort of insane. So they always needed people, and, and the editor there, who I'm now really good friends with, uh, sent me out, and I didn't really do what she wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I didn't really go out for her again. Um, but then I found out that she was looking for uh, she was looking for reporters. Uh, I don't know a few months later, a friend of mine who was interning there sent me her email where she was like, "If you know anybody, send them my way." And I wrote her an email, and I was like, "Look, I you, I went out for you once before, and I." didn't do what you wanted, but I'm really good at this. Please send me out again. And she thought that was really ballsy. Mm. So she did send me out again. And the thing, too, is like with party reporting, you have to be really kind of ballsy and just like socially bizarre because you're going up to celebrities in the middle of a cocktail party and you're asking them a really strange question. I think that that was something like that I didn't really understand about party reporting and sort of this piece of journalism is really how awkward that is. I think people kind of assume that these conversations between editors and celebrities are really facilitated or that celebrities are, you know, all fame whores and they're like dying to get press. But I know, and I should mention, because I don't think we have yet, but Amy wrote an entire book called Tales from the Back Row that we've talked about before on the podcast. It's hilarious, but it really goes sort of a deep dive into Amy, you being this like fish out of water and moving to New York City from Texas and really breaking into 
this industry and of course now being super successful so everyone check that out tales from the back row but you talk in your book about at one point like approaching you know a celebrity kind of like waiting in line for the bathroom or like you're literally (laughs) I mean we all know how awkward it is to be at a party and not know anyone and you're like do I break into the circle or do I you know or even networking which we're going to talk about a little later in the episode how awkward that can be and that's literally like doing this with celebrities is like that awkwardness like times a thousand yeah once you get used to reporting you can really say anything to anybody yeah it probably makes you like kind of just a social weirdo right but I feel like I feel like I could go up to anybody and say anything I think and it wouldn't I wouldn't think twice about it but but I guess like you know to your point about that um you know like how like that's kind of how you know how can you tell someone's passion I think like that's how you can tell that they're willing to be like I failed but like I'm begging you yeah I want I know I can do this or I really want to do this um I want to know and it it has to go beyond just like sending sending emails out like you just have to because that's really not going to probably get you anywhere at right. least in media and I, I do hear from a lot of people too who say like I've sent my resume so many places and I just can't get a job and I, I you know without me knowing their whole life story it's sort of hard for me to advise them but right. you just like have to like be so desperate right I was listening to an interview with uh David Sedaris he went on Fresh Air which is one of my favorite podcasts after the Cosmo <laughs> podcast of course after the after the Cosmo half year which is my number one favorite <laughs> he he said no one wanted to be somebody more than me Hmm. And I like really identify with that. Right. You, you have to just be desperate. And I, I don't know, Maddie, if you like feel desperate. And I felt desperate and I still feel desperate. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I feel like especially when I was younger and like when I was like 16 and just, you know, reading magazines and my mom always when I call her and I'll like talk about maybe something that I feel like I did wrong or like I'm frustrated or she always be like, remember when you were 16 and you said you would mop the floors at a magazine to be able to work there and I'm like yes like you know and that's how I still feel and how I felt then and like, I love that piece of mom advice like, yeah I remember when you said you would mop the floors like, <laughs> doing like anything okay, to mom. Get in. yes you're right and I, I do still feel that way and I feel like it's the, that's the only reason that you work as hard as you do to get somewhere if you like would do anything to be there and Maddie I wanted to I wanted to have you both on this episode because Amy you kind of represent the person who like is majorly successful and makes a lot of entry level hires and Maddie you kind of represent the person who graduated just a year ago and landed this amazing job what was really great advice that was given to you during your job search that helped you end up at Cosmo does anything stand out I feel like something um, they told me in school that was so helpful was they were saying like especially if you're going out for a media job or a writing job your cover letter might be the only thing that someone reads, like, that's your writing. Yeah. And so don't make it boring. Like, write a story, you know, be engaging, because who knows if they'll read any of your clips. This might be the only thing. And so, like, I've never written, every cover letter I write, I try to make, like, a story or connect myself to the brand or something like that. You're not just copying and pasting the old generic-y cover letter. Right. So, like, when I applied at Cosmo, my cover letter was a listicle. Because I was like, okay, Cosmo does lists. Like, that'll oh, yeah, be fun. we've published one or two of those. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard of a listicle. <laughs> and so I think, I, I hope that just helps you stand out. And also doing, like, not boring subject lines. Mm. I think that's another one. I think my subject line for Cosmo was, like, four reasons you should hire Maddie or, you know, like the listicle. So kind of just, like, people get so many emails and so many cover letters, you have to stand out from the get-go or, like, how they can even open it. I want to give, I think that's great advice, and I want to chime in with two specific tips that I would add, although Amy, like, just 
tell me if you disagree. <laughs> One is that I always tell people to put their cover letter in like the body of their email. Mm-hmm. I think people hate attachments. We're all reading everything on our phones, especially when I'm hiring for a job. I feel like I tend to not read them as they come into my inbox, but like go through a handful of emails from job applicants like on the subway on the way home. Right. So I always tell people, put your cover letter in your email. Like if an editor or anyone you're applying to a job for, if they take the time to open your email, make sure all the good information about you is right there in the body. Don't make people like take the extra two seconds to open an attachment. And I know that sounds insane, but if you're getting 50 applications a day for a competitive position, you are scanning through them as quickly as you can. So I think to your point about a cover letter being the only thing people might read about you, make it as easy as possible for people to see it. Um, I totally agree. And it drives me insane when people send me an email and it's like, dear Amy, and then they say something... Right. And then they sign it, but they're attaching a cover letter. Right. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Right. It's like you blew your chance. That yeah, is your cover like letter. like your email, you know, like we're in the business of making content and your email is the content that you can make. Yeah. And you've blown it by making an illogical redundant choice. Yeah. And I would also I would also add on that in terms of these like little hacks about getting spotted that I think some of this attachment stuff dates back to the days when people were literally printing out things. No one is doing or actually maybe like HR is doing that. And again, I can't speak for every every industry like only my own experience, but like in our industry it's like the joke is always just like what's paper? You know, we work online, we work in digital media, make it packaged for somebody like reading an email really quickly. Um, I think the other thing that sort of drives me crazy is I get a lot of questions from people that want to break in the industry because Maddie, they've heard advice like what you're talking about, which is like, you have to stand out. And they're sort of like, do I need to do a, you know, animated video trailer resume, like blah, 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 blah. And like, this is total real talk. I sometimes feel like the people who are doing that kind of thing are compensating for something else, which isn't to say that a creative approach like a listicle can't work for you, but I would sort of say like, we're still looking for people that have the experience. So I think you need to be a little careful. I don't know, Amy, do you notice that at all as well? I think it is true that sometimes uh, you can tell when something is a gimmick. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, but I also think Maddie's point is really good. Like, don't be boring. Yeah. You know, because, like, you hear me talk about this all the time at work. Like, I don't, like, we're not in the business of boring people. Yeah. We're in the business of entertaining people. Yeah. So, like, don't, like, I don't want to be bored. And I spend so much time thinking about how not to be boring. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, just don't be boring. Don't put me to sleep with your cover letter. It's, I mean, it's true. It's yeah. true. Um, Another question that um, I sort of hear a lot from girls who are in an entry-level job search looking for their first job ever is that it can feel like every single job posting says one to two years experience required or looking for somebody that has previous experience doing X, Y, and Z. Amy, what is your feeling on people going for those opportunities even if they don't have that experience? Or like sometimes you hear that counts internships. What do you think? I think it depends on the position. You know, there are people who are ahead of the game given their amount of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think that if it's entry level, that that can include internships. Mm -hmm. I think I think you would be hard pressed to find a job in media if you had not had a relevant internship. Right. And if that's the case for you and you really want to work in media, then I would say you probably need to be looking for internships. Yeah. 
I interned, I my first like real magazine internship was actually the summer after I graduated. And that was because I felt like even though I'd had like a million sort of like related to magazine experiences, Um, all through college I felt like I kept hearing that advice that I needed to work in a mainstream magazine which was my goal when I graduated I needed to have that three-month internship on my resume so I did that Um, I think we should call up one of our friends who landed directly out of college a crazy competitive job that actually has nothing to do with magazines to get all of her secrets you guys ready to jump on the phone yeah can't wait. Can't wait. I always say that. What if someone was like, I'm not ready? I'm just kidding. Everyone's always ready. <laughs> Our first guest today is currently working her dream job that she got straight out of college. As driver and spokesperson of the famous Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, she travels the country driving a 27-foot-long hot dog and speaking on behalf of the brand in interviews and at live events. Chosen as one of 12 drivers out of literally thousands of applicants, this job may sound like it's all fun and games, but in fact was incredibly competitive to get. Here to share with us what she did to nab her dream job is Lizzie Duffy. Hi, Lizzie. Hi there, Lisa. Thanks for having me on the show this week. Yeah, of course. Are you like on the giant hot dog as we speak? You know, even though the Wienermobile is a traveling PR firm on wheels, kind of like my office, and I've spent a ton of time in there over the past year, I'm not in there right now. I'm actually in my hotel. I live in hotels uh, most of the year. So where are you right now? I'm in New York City, actually. It's oh. my first time being here. Yeah, we're doing a media tour this week in New York. Oh, welcome. So it's kind of fun. You're right. Thank You're you. down the street from us as we speak. Um, I don't that's think that's exactly right. Yeah, that like never happens. So exciting. Okay, so you were picked for this crazy job that I feel like everybody knows what the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile is. It's kind of this fantasy of getting to travel the world, driving the giant hot dog. How So there were literally thousands of applications for this job. What did you have to do to get hired to drive a giant hot dog? Yeah, so you actually have to make yourself stand out. I mean, with thousands of people um, that are wanting the same position you are, I knew that I was going to have to make myself be special in some way. And when it came to apply, I was basically living and breathing all things Wienermobile. There wasn't a person within my circle that didn't know I was applying for this. Um, I had really put in a lot of work years prior to applying my senior year of college. I found out about the job when I was probably 18 or 19 years old, and it became my number one goal. It was in my five-year plan, and I knew that in order to get there, that I needed to put in a lot of work. Um, So I knew they were looking for someone who obviously has an appetite for an adventure, but also (laughs) someone that can be, you know, an elegant speaker, someone that has experience with different populations. And so I started just kind of putting my feet to the, you know, just started grinding out wherever I could, you know, getting experience in in the PR and marketing world, um, picking up on anything that I could do to, you know, build my resume and um, hope that it would all work out in the end. (laughs) So Lizzie, it sounds like you I've like never heard somebody in an entry-level job really talk about a five-year plan, but that's amazing. I'm already so impressed. Was there something, it sounds like you had the work experience, obviously, to land this job. Was there something specific on your application materials that sort of you did to go above and beyond? How did you communicate that you were so prepared for this job? Yeah, I think that I actually had experience in a lot of different areas that that helped me out in my application. Um, I had studied abroad for three summers in college. I hadn't spent a summer at home. So, you know, just having that kind of real world experience um, 
you know, living on the road is, is really helpful. Um, in addition to that, I had a lot of internships over the past couple of years in college. Um, I swam on the swim team in college. I actually volunteered for the local um, Special Olympics swim team as well. So I just try to make myself a really well-rounded applicant. And then when it came time to put in my application, you know, it looked like a regular application with the resume and cover letter that they were asking for. But I wanted to show my personality and experience throughout that in a funny, unique way. So I had, you know, hot dog puns all throughout <laughs> it because as hot doggers and drivers of the Wienermobile, um, we're, we're a lot of fun. So I wanted to add those things Can in there. Can you share a, pu- and, a pun or um, two? I feel like as a Cosmo editor, I'd really appreciate a hot dog pun. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I have a whole handful of them. Um, <laughs> but whenever I meet a really cute couple that wants a picture with the Wienermobile, I always tell them, tell them that they go together like ketchup and mustard. And um, they always start laughing. And so we get a great picture out of that. That's one of my, my little one-liners that I use. <laughs> OK, so you went hard on the hot dog innuendo. That makes sense. I totally get it. Um, what was the interview process like? Yeah, so the interview process, they ask for a resume and cover letter from everyone. And the first round of interviews are typically on campus at schools that they recruit at. So actually, I wasn't going to a school where they recruited me. Um, I went to a smaller school in Wisconsin, and I knew I was going up against these kids at some of the top journalism and marketing schools across the country. And so when it came time for my first round interview, we did it over the phone, and I didn't have the advantage of being in person, showing them my personality. I knew that I had to, you know. You were an underdog. Exactly. <laughs> that is it. Literally, yes, I was an underdog for the hot dog, and I wanted to be as prepared as possible for that phone interview. So, you know, I started just looking online the, the top interview questions. I probably had like 30 or 40 questions written out with all of my answers prepared and a huge document. And when it came time for my phone interview, I, you know, I dressed up, I went to a conference room at um, the job center at my campus. And I acted as if it was a real interview. Um, I had the advantage of having some of those questions and some answers thought out ahead of time. I think that really did help me get on to the next um, level in the interview process, which was actually at our headquarters. So they flew in the top 25 applicants out of about 1,200 or 1,500 applicants. And um, we all had a two-day interview in person. That was the final round the night before the big interview was a dinner, um, so we sat down with all the other applicants that are in my interview group, as well as some people that were going to be interviewing us. And I think that was a great experience to, you know, really showcase who I was from the get-go, share my story of how I've always wanted to drive the Wienermobile, and you know, <laughs> Lizzie, you, a little bit about. <laughs> you definitely sound you definitely sound like a diehard Wienermobile fan. I love it, and yeah. <laughs> and this whole thing sounds like it could be like a reality TV show, or maybe it was once. It Who is. even knows? It is yeah, okay. Yeah, of course, so, everything. Yeah, yeah. No, it's so, my real life. Wait, yeah. can I ask a question? Uh, yeah. Because I, I have anxiety around driving. Did you have to do like a, a driving a test? test drive yeah. the Wienermobile to see if you could do it without crashing? Oh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. We have to go through a driver's test before they can give you the keys. And um, in, in order for you to hit the hot dog highways, we have to start practicing <laughs> in a minivan with all of like, the windows um, newspapered up. Because you have to become accustomed to not driving 
um, and look at your blind spot. You know, because when you turn in the Wienermobile, look at your blind spot. There's no windows in the back. Can right? you just you describe what it's like to be in the Wienermobile? Like it is like an actual hot dog, like it shaped like an. It looks like a hot dog. dog. Yes. Yes. And with yes. papered so over windows, then it drives worse than a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we started driving in the minivan um, through going through like cones and stuff before we could graduate to behind the wheel of the Wienermobile and then to the road. But driving it is unlike anything else I've ever experienced. Everyone is so happy to see you. It's the greatest thing because people are honking and waving, and people you can see their jaws literally drop. You know, people. It brings joy. It brings joy to people every day, and it's still kind of. Um, puts me at a loss of words. Um, it's been a really cool experience. But yeah, driving that and giving people rides in there and, as well is a ton of fun. We have six seats, so it's perfect for a family of four to come along with my coworker and I and um, to make memories that will really last a lifetime for them. Or a few Cosmo editors right. here in New York. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> I'd be happy to do that, too. Perfect. Um, do you Have you ever tried to take the Wienermobile <laughs> through a drive-thru? <laughs> so the Wienermobile actually can't really fit into drive throughs So I wanted to, but yeah, we don't go through drive Even like a big Sonic yeah, what in the situation no, are you like full of? Sonic. I just, okay, I that's too bad. Clearance. That'd I be fly. really meta. I wanted to. I feel like it'd be worth it just for like the Instagram, <laughs> like where the hot dog is when it gets hungry. Um, Lizzie, it sounds like you were the most prepared person I've like literally ever heard from in my life. Was there anything they asked you during the interview process that was like a shock that you felt un- unprepared for? Um... You know, I don't know if there's anything that was a huge shock of mine. Um, I knew that there was going to be a Spanish test with the interview. I indicated that I spoke Spanish. And so they wanted to kind of test me on that. And how did you know that? How did you know that? Did they tell Um, you just as part of the... They told me. Okay. Yeah, they told me ahead of time. And I had finished my Spanish minor after my sophomore year in college. So I hadn't really spoken much Spanish in two years. Mm-hmm. But I figured, hey, you know what? There's other people here who don't even have this skill. I can just try my hardest, show them what I got. And so, yeah, that kind of, it, it really throws you for a loop when I put you on camera to do that because they're going to want to watch it later to see how you do. Um, but, you know, I don't know if there's anything that really shocked me. I had done enough research into the job. I think that is a huge thing you need to do. I watched every interview possible that a hot dogger has ever done, whether it was on the local or national level. I was prepared going into it. I think that that really helped me during the process. Wait, so Lizzie, if this was your five-year plan and you're now living your dream and it's a one-year contract, what next? Like, I feel like you've been working your entire life for this (laughs) moment. Yeah, yeah. And people would laugh at me when they would ask me what my five-year plan was during other internship interviews in college. And I would say, the Wienermobile comes first, but I'm happy to, you know, be able to prove them wrong. Um, and this year has been everything that I've wanted and more. After this, you know, I have a couple of cities that are um, that I have my, my, my eye on, um, and I've made some connections through the year. I want to work long-term at a PR firm. So I'm um, just getting experience with different clients in different industries and being able to do some, some fun things like the Wienermobile. I'm not sure if anything will live up to the Wienermobile because this job is the top dog, but um, we'll see what comes next in the future. Great. Well, Lizzie, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. 
So many of my friends have adorable pups for pets, and I learn quickly that the way to my friend's hearts is a happy, adorable dog. That is why I love BarkBox so much. It's basically a monthly subscription box that is filled with yummy dog treats and toys that dogs love. And each month is a hilariously adorable new theme, like Bark Ball, Poo York City, and Brooklyn Hipster. I signed up my sister's dog for a box, and she loved it. Plus, this is a great way for dog owners to try a variety of treats and toys from local and small businesses that you wouldn't normally know about. I love that piece of it. It's like shop local for your dog. Here are some more great benefits from BarkBox. It's shipped directly to your door. All the edibles are made in the U.S. and Canada, and they will replace any items your dog doesn't like totally free. I don't really know how you know if your dog doesn't like it, but maybe you people who actually have dogs know better than I do. For an extra free premium toy added to your BarkBox every month, visit BarkBox.com Cosmo when you subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan, then select Yes, Please when asked Have a Playful Pup. So give the gift that keeps on giving with a BarkBox subscription box. Your furry friend is sure to thank you. Again, that's BarkBox.com slash Cosmo for a free extra premium toy with a 6 or 12 month subscription plan. Sign up for BarkBox. Your furry friend will love it. Our next guest today is the co-founder of Click Media Group, the content and commerce company behind the popular fashion brand Who What Wear, as well as the home decor site My Domain, beauty site Birdie, and college fashion trend site College Fashionista. She's an entrepreneur and the author of two books, The Career Code. But before she became a powerhouse in the digital world, she was working as a freelance writer. We asked her to come in on the podcast today to share some tips on how to make yourself a must-have candidate in a competitive job market and ultimately create the career of your dreams. Welcome, Hillary Kerr. Hi, Hillary. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for calling in. So what was your very first job after graduating college? Uh, my very first job after graduating college was working as an editorial assistant at Elle magazine. No so big deal. I worked in, yep. uh, <laughs> so I worked in the features department, and it was a job that I had been dreaming of for years while I was in grad school and doing tons of internships in the magazine industry. So I really felt like I hit the jackpot, to put it mildly. I loved it. You loved it. And was it what how did you get that job? Like if you had to sum it up in one sentence, what was like something that helped you land a job that a million girls would kill for? Um, and to sum it up in a word, it was hustle. And mm. to elaborate on that, I think it's the fact that I had done five internships in two years, all specifically uh, for magazines. So I had worked at Marie Claire in Sydney, at InStyle in Los Angeles, at InStyle in New York, at San Diego Magazine, where I got some of my very first published print clips, and then at Harper's Bazaar in New York. So by the time I went in for job interviews, once I, my, I finished my master's in journalism at NYU, I had the education, but I also had work experience. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I wanted to work for a magazine, that I wanted to be in content, that I wanted to be a writer and maybe someday an editor. So I think the fact that I had that practical experience and, and was so focused on what I wanted to do made me probably um, an attractive candidate. And so now that you are the co-founder of this total media empire, I'm sure you do a ton of hiring and have hired a lot of recent grads. Are there resume mistakes you see a lot? 
Absolutely. I, I see lots of resume mistakes, uh, and sometimes I can overlook them. But I think the number one thing is is that people don't edit. So they put too much stuff on their resume. I don't necessarily need to know every language you speak unless it's relevant to the job. I don't need to know about every single club you were ever a member of. So there are a lot of those things I think are great details, but those are things for your cover letter, perchance, or for the interview in person. Really, it's important for people to focus on the work experience, in my opinion, and to quantify it whenever they can. So to give actual, concrete, measurable numbers about the difference they made or what sort of work that they did, um, I think that's really of paramount importance. Um, Hillary, I think that's a really good point about editing your resume because I think the tendency, especially if you're straight out of college, is to feel like you don't have a ton of work experience. So every possible thing you've ever done (laughs) needs to be on your resume. But I think it's, you know, I've heard this sort of advice that like your resume should tell a story. And in some ways, there's always comparisons between like applying for a job and online dating. And in some ways, what you were saying made me think of an online (laughs) dating profile. Like on your online dating profile, you just give a tease of who you are. It's not necessarily meant to be like your life history. So I think that's a really good point. You need some space to fill in the blanks yourself. And I think that, you know, it's also, it's a natural thing. You have this entire sheet of paper that you need to fill up and maybe you don't have a ton of experience, but I actually think that maybe you're just not drilling down on the things that you did in the jobs or internships that you've had in the past Mm -hmm. and really thinking about how those skills are applicable to the job you're applying for. So maybe you might not necessarily off the top of your head see what the direct correlation between being a salesperson at The Gap is with, you know, being an editorial assistant at a magazine, but you could actually go through and think about, you know, problem solving and, you know, attention to detail and all of these other things that are skills that translate no matter what you're working on or what field you're in and, you know, really focus on those hard skills rather than, you know, telling me what position you held in your sorority. Not that that's not great, but I just don't care personally. Right, right, right. That's, you know, actually you, I know you just threw that off as like an example, but I actually think the Greek life thing I found is something really divisive. I think basically people who are involved with the Greek system are like, yes, it's absolutely relevant that you were the new member education, whatever, whatever. But I I talk to (laughs) some people that are like, I don't give a shit basically about your life, your experience and a sorority. I don't. And I was in a sorority <laughs> and I don't care. You, okay. So okay. There's that. Like, I think it's an interesting, nice thing that can come up after you've been on the job for six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, Amy. It Amy, you naturally in conversation. Right. And Amy, you chimed in with an emphatic, I don't. Do you feel like it makes people look green <laughs> to sort of talk too much about their, their sorority experience? I mean, I just really care if I'm hiring you for a, um, an actual job. I just want to know about your work experience. Yeah. Like at actual jobs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Not like your thing where you were like paying for. And there are probably jobs that are not immediate, you know, like like Hillary was saying, that would be relevant. You know, like if someone came in and said that, um, I don't know, in high school they, um, they were a janitor at the local uh, sports club or something like that, I would mm-hmm. be, like, really impressed by that. Right. <laughs> you know, like, someone who's, like, willing to roll up their sleeves and do a job because they need a job. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't care about Waitressing. Your... Yeah, waitressing is always the thing. When tough. I see that on a resume, then I know it's someone who can deal with people, who can multitask, 
who isn't afraid to roll their sleeves up and, and like get it done. I think there are certain things like that. But I, in some cases, I do feel like the sorority or Greek life thing can have something applicable. Like if you were a rush chair at a big sorority at a big school and you're applying for like being a talent manager for influencers, sure. that I actually think kind of makes sense because I know that you can herd kittens, which is essentially <laughs> what you do as a rush chair. And that is a skill that directly applies to dealing with, you know, wrangling talent. So I think there are a few select occasions when maybe that Greek life experience has a real world application. But I generally, for the most part, it's like, talk about it in the interview if you if you must. Right. But otherwise, just forget it. Forget it. <laughs> um, and so, Hillary, I'm sure you get, you know, running who, what, where, you get asked this question all the time. But is there a perfect interview outfit? I think ultimately the the best thing that you should do is wear something that is clean, something that does not have any wrinkles or scuffs, and something that you feel really great in. I actually say it's sort of like a high school reunion. I don't think you should buy something new. I think you should wear something that you already own and that you feel fabulous wearing because you don't want to go out and buy something new and then fidget in it in an interview. There's nothing worse than when you can tell someone is actually slightly uncomfortable in whatever it is that they're wearing because they hadn't actually thought through, oh, these shoes are going to give me a blister. Or, oh, this skirt is made out of an incredibly itchy material. Mm. Um, so it depends on the industry, but I would say it's also important to err on the side of professionalism versus trendiness or being the most fashion forward. I don't think that's generally as appropriate, but wear something you already own and something that you feel really wonderful in. And instead of buying clothes, like spend that money to make sure you, your nails look nice or to make sure that your hair looks nice. You, I think those are things that um, can sort of give you a mood boost anyway, and it's always good to feel confident going into a job interview anyway, right? Yeah, that's great advice. Um, and so I want to ask about money. One question that we've that I've sort of heard a lot from you know the youngs is when you are negotiating a salary for an entry level job. You know, everyone has heard this advice, and I think women in particular, that you should negotiate your salary. But when you're applying for an entry-level job, you don't necessarily have any leverage to do that. Do you think it's still important to try to negotiate, or what would your advice be for someone in that position? I think it depends on how much experience you come into the job with. So that was an odd sentence. But um, I think if you come in and you have tons of experience, you're going to be able to hit the ground running. If it's a lateral move or you just are someone who did a ton of internships and had a lot of work experience, then in that case, maybe it is worth it. And maybe it's also worth saying um, if there's not room in the beginning, could I have an accelerated six-month review and address it then? Because then it gives you some time to prove yourself on the job. Right. But um, oftentimes for entry-level jobs, it's not that people, bosses are being jerks. There's just legitimately uh, an amount that they have budgeted and there's no additional there's room no for that. Room. Mm-hmm. So that I also feel like if, if you don't, if you're not able to negotiate that very first um that very first job, don't take it so personally and really think about what can you do to make a difference in your review, whether it's at six months or a year. Right. I think that's really great advice to think long term, which is a good strategy for your first job anyway. 
Um, yes, because so, you're, you're, oftentimes you're the one who's getting all, like you're learning a ton, and I'm all for negotiation and all for getting the most money possible, but you also have to know what your leverage is. And yet, to your point, you don't really have any. Right. You have none. Goodbye. No, just kidding. Yeah. Um, and Hillary, <laughs> final question before I have to let you go. I hear all the time from girls who are stressed about keeping in touch with and following up with supervisors. Do you have any sneaky tips for that? I always tell people, to, this is so lame, but I always tell people to basically like favorite my tweets. <laughs> Because no yeah, one really does that. It, <laughs> it is. It's actually my, my one of my best friends and I half the time communicate through tweet favoriting. If I've been on the road for a while and I haven't heard from Joey lately, I'll look at my um, look at my favorites and all of a sudden I'll, I'll realize he's he's starred like 17 of them in a row. And, I, and it's a nice little subtle way of him saying, I'm thinking of you without pestering me on text message. Um, I think Twitter favorites are a great thing. I also think it's one of those nice things like shoot an email to that person once a month or once every couple of months with a relevant article that you found interesting that you mm-hmm. think they would find interesting, you know, where you're not asking for anything, but you're still remaining top of mind and you're doing something that's low lift that they don't necessarily feel like they need to write you back immediately, but just sort of a moment where they think, oh, that, that was a thoughtful gesture. Absolutely. Hillary, so much great advice. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Anything I can do to help ever. Yes, thank you. We'll we'll have you on again soon. (laughs) Bye-bye. I really appreciate it. Bye. You guys, I learned so much about applying for a job today. I basically want to apply for my first job all over again. Um, One thing that I wanted to add as we're wrapping up here, which is one of my pet peeves, this drives me crazy when people send their application and it's like sent from my iPhone at the bottom. It just oh, drives yeah. me crazy. No. It just looks so lazy. It I'm is like, lazy. Yeah. That's why. Like, you couldn't even like sit down in <laughs> a computer. Could, you could also just delete it. If you're right. sending it from your iPhone, just exactly. delete the line. Exactly. It's like, I know you kids in your phones, but I don't want to know. <laughs> I have no patience for laziness. No patience for laziness. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy, any other brilliant pieces of advice you want to share with the millions of girls who are trying to get a job at Cosmo? I don't know. I think it's like the kind of the theme for me is like you have to be a hustler. Um, and you have to work really hard and like people can tell if you're lazy you know like don't just like sit around and watch Netflix <laughs> don't <laughs> like, sit around and on your couch. I mean just you can't like you won't get anywhere if you do that and in a, a really competitive field absolutely so be a hustler and Maddie anything that you would add now that you have merged on the other <laughs> side with your amazing job um, I think something that was really important when I was looking was just like use your friend networks not even like Obviously, I knew people through my internships, but it was a lot of my friends who worked at different media companies who were the ones who could, like, get my resume past the HR black hole. And, like, yeah, that's how I actually got phone calls with people was really through my friends and people I'd met through journalism school and things like that. So, you know, look beyond, like, your obvious network circle. I think that can really help, especially if you have friends who are maybe, like, a year or two older than you. That's great advice because it's, like, those are going to be the people that really owe you a favor, not, like, some person you went to coffee with for 20 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, thank you both so much. And um, we always finish by having you guys just shout out your Twitter handles real quick if anybody wants to follow up with you to ask for a job at Cosmo. <laughs> you can reach me uh, at Amy Odell on Twitter, A-M-Y-O-D-E-L-L. And you can follow me on Instagram, I-N-S-T-A-M-Y-O-D-E-L-L, or on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Amy Odell books. And buy Tales from the Back Row. Obviously. And buy Tales from the Back Row wherever <laughs> books are sold. Yeah, you guys probably already have it, though. And Maddie, <laughs> wh- where is the best place for people to stalk you? So on Twitter, it's underscore 
Madison Line or Mad is Online, depending on how you read it. Um, and it's the same thing on Instagram. So M A D I S O N L I N E. And as always, you guys can find me at Elisa Benson. I also want to say thank you so much to all the girls that I saw at the Cosmo event this weekend that came up and said hi and said that they love the podcast. You guys, I do it all for you. It really makes my day. And this may this may surprise and shock you, but it doesn't happen that often. So I really appreciate it. And thank you guys as always for listening and subscribing and liking and favoriting and doing all those podcasty things. We'll see you next week. Bye. such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.